everyone and welcome to another exciting battle of the atom this is your only weekly x-men podcast where i zach jenkins and my co-host adam Reck go through three x-men stories and put them on our big old list of every x-men story ever forever of all time ever in order from best to worst and it's definitive and no one can argue with us about it isn't that right adam <laughs> well you know I, people people do argue with us uh, but that's okay because we're not but actually ranking wrong. anything today thing. yeah we're not ranking anything we today argue. so nobody can argue with us which is good well they'll find a way i'm sure <laughs> uh, <laughs> no but you're you're absolutely right instead today we have a special guest Woo-hoo. we have leah williams leah how are you doing today I'm great. Thank you. Now, Leah, you are uh, the upcoming writer for X-Men Gold Annual Number 1 featuring the 30th anniversary of Excalibur. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. I am completely overjoyed that I got the opportunity to work on this in particular. I'm excited about it. When I saw when I saw the uh, when I saw the art go up, I was real pumped for uh, <laughs> for this to happen. Oh, yeah, yeah, it has an Alan Davis cover and everything. No, I am curious though. How many times has Alan Davis parodied his own version of that cover of the Excalibur <laughs> number one? Because I can think of like five okay. that he drew. A lot. <laughs> yes, it is a lot, but that doesn't lessen the impact, especially oh, for me. Writing the thirtieth anniversary. <laughs> It never gets bad. It's always great. (laughs) It just kind of adds to the legacy. Like, I I don't know, maybe he has a a template or something that he he uses (laughs) to reference the the first cover, that really iconic one. Um, But in any case, it's... That's (laughs) that's true. (laughs) I got this. Blah, 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 blah. I'm Alan Davis. I'm really good at comics. Here we go. I don't think Alan Davis sounds like that. Alan, when you listen to this, I'm sorry. (laughs) <laughs> you know i have heard that he is nothing but the nicest guy ever like the sweetest person i've never had hear. the opportunity to meet him i would love to meet oh, him same. that'd yeah. be so cool um so how exactly did this come about i mean obviously there's probably a desire in-house to celebrate the anniversary of excalibur but um you know what what was the behind the scenes decision making here that that led to this annual being a reunion of sorts uh so it actually started with mark guggenheim who is writing the x-men gold ongoing series right now and he started hearing from fans um because kurt rachel and kitty are all together again on the same team um and they used to be in excalibur together he started hearing from fans you know kind of like hey you've got three of the members here like what about an excalibur reunion reunion and he thought that it would be a great idea to do that for the annual. Um, So he approached Chris Robinson, the editor for this, um, someone I've worked with in the past. And then Chris floated my name 
for being a co-writer. So um, that's how this kind of got started. It was because Mark was paying attention to what people were saying and what they were looking for. And he's a big fan of Excalibur, the original series, and, um, you know, kind of piloted this project from the start with Chris Robinson. Mark Guggenheim, he's been a, you know, he's an experienced comic writer and media person. Like he, he's done some stuff. So what's the process of, you know, co-writing this with him? What's the give and take on that with you two? Well, for me, because I am still so new, um, I've been writing comics for Marvel for about a year now. This was really an invaluable opportunity for me to kind of learn um, from him and Chris at the same time and how their process works for these things. So the way it worked in this particular instance, because obviously creative things are always pretty fluid and they'll shift depending on who's working with it. But in this particular project, he came up with the plot, uh, just kind of like a two-page document that was sent to me and it outlined his idea for the structure and the reason and that kind of thing. And then in return, I wrote a full outline, sequence of events and, you know, uh, dialogue notes, that kind of thing, and, and how we would make his idea happen and make sense within the continuity of the comics. And he gave some feedback and I incorporated the notes and then wrote the script. And we went through the same thing again, where I, I sent it and we talked about it. And, you know, if there were any other ideas or feedback, I, I kind of massaged it a little until, um, you know, it, it was perfect <laughs> in that way. I, I don't want to say perfect, but, um, you know, and, and to like talk in my own, writing in those terms, but uh, just kind of covering the bases and making sure it was the strongest story that we could possibly tell. Um, and they gave me a staggering amount of freedom to do that. And I, I can't believe they did, but I am super happy about it as well. What would you say is is the major difference between, because you were, you were saying that you still feel relatively new to this. What would you say the difference is between your approach and uh, your collaborators here? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't know how the process works for other more established writers when, you know, they're working just on their own versus including me in the process because Mark and Chris were just incredible the whole time I was working with them. And Mark in particular, he's been he's been with these characters and in, in the Marvel world for so long that he and Chris uh, both have this kind of incredible aerial view of all the different events and which characters are where and what they're up to. So being able to kind of compile um, plots and, and different events uh, is, is a skill kind of unique to them that I, I haven't earned yet. I haven't been there long enough to keep track of these things as a creator versus a writer. I mean, a reader. No, that's, yeah, that, that's exciting. So what I want to do, I want to pull back just a little bit outside of gold annual, which 
I'm very excited about, and I have some very specific questions that I am going to tiptoe the line <laughs> on spoilers and just getting people excited on the book. Sure, sure. Because I want to be surprised by some of this stuff. Uh, but what's your X-Men story and your comic story in general? Like, how do you uh, – was was going into Excalibur? I know we've talked, you know, off mic here about that. Something you're excited about. So what's what's your story with that? My story is in like how I got into these comics in particular. Yeah, what got you into that? Got you into X Men? Got you, you know, wanting to work for Marvel and do a book like this? Um, I have been. A Marvel fangirl for a very long time, and uh, it, I think it really, really started when I was working in a comic book shop. I was a clerk in a comic book shop, so I sort of I was the opener. I came into the store in the mornings and opened by myself, and sat there with my coffee, just reading comics for the entire day, and. Um, you know, it was in a time in my life when I was sort of aleatory and lost and I, I didn't know where I was going to end up or what I was going to do. Um, so like comics, Marvel in particular, <laughs> was really one of the things that was just this beacon for me, especially the mutant titles, like all of the X titles I just got super into. and. Uh, about a year ago, when I got an email from Chris Robinson that was just like, hey, I read your first book and just wondering, um, do you have any interest writing comics? Like, I knew exactly who he was, and I had this 12-foot vinyl poster of all the different X-Men behind me on the wall. I had to take 12 hours to calm down before replying to his email. Like, I just, and, I, and I've been freaking out ever since. It never stopped. I, I never stopped being super excited. But um, yeah, it, it just started out as, as me being a really, really, really intense fan <laughs> and very devoted reader of a bunch of different Marvel comics. Were you a big Excalibur fan? What's like your, your touchstone, um, you know, your, your favorite X-Men? Oh, that's a good question too. So I, I always, and this is like public knowledge too. I always joked about how much I loved all of the X-Men titles, like even the crappy stuff. And I like posted about this on social media. I have left a paper trail years long about this. <laughs> um, but Excalibur, it was definitely one of those things that, it it was one of those titles that I picked up um, and it was like somebody turned on the lights. Like it was just so bracing and incredible. And all of Chris Claremont's work, original work with the X-Men is something that I, I go back to over and over again. Yeah. I mean, it's, but yeah, definitely cool. Excalibur. No, that that's good. And I can, I can vouch for that, uh, that uh, liking of, what some people would refer to as the crappy X-Men stuff. I know that <laughs> I, I I remember, I think you and I had a conversation on Twitter back and forth about different pitches for how to make Maggot a viable character in the year of our Lord 2017. Yes. Oh my God. 
I desperately want them <laughs> to let me write uh, a maggot comic where his slugs get reunited. <laughs> nice. That would be great. All I'm saying is I have already I've already talked to Mark Guggenheim about, hey dude, maggot's pretty good. And he specifically said, Yeah, I know, and we had like a five minute talk about that whole era of X-Men. So I mean the right the stars are aligned, the right people are there. I'm just saying push a little harder and maybe, maybe something amazing yeah, I can get that going. <laughs> I, I need to have that pitch ready. I should start like actually <laughs> writing that instead of just like excitedly talking about it whenever somebody brings up and I think it's you every time too. I think every time Look, it's probably yeah. have I been trying, <laughs> have I been trying to get it's weird. hashtag bring back maggot trending on Twitter for a while? Maybe. <laughs> have I bothered Cullen Bunn about it several times and gotten responses? Some of the times, like, yeah, it's it's come up a bit, but like, <laughs> that's, that's the thing about X-Men that always gets me excited is that even the crappy stuff, even the stuff that a lot of people will dismiss, it has its fans. I've had people who, for some reason, swear to me by the Chuck Austin run of X-Men, and while I... <laughs> I'm hmm. not a fan of that abomination of nature. I'm very glad that they enjoyed it and they found something exciting about. It. Like that's one of the that's one of the coolest things about this franchise because it's so friggin' expansive. Oh, I was just gonna say, like that's that's definitely part of the magic in writing for Marvel is, you know, even stuff that is like critically not received well, it's always gonna have a really devoted fan base no matter how small because people love the characters and like this is the kind of fan that i am too where i'll follow characters across different series and different events that kind of thing because i'm super loyal to them and i love them and i've always felt that way about uh mutants <laughs> but yeah 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 no, we do too no a couple of couple of those characters that I know have a loyal following are Megan and Captain Britain, who are Excalibur oh, yes. members and featured in the But they they haven't been in the spotlight for a while. I think uh, for either of them, the last appearance was somewhere in like 2015 before Secret Wars or mm -hmm. something. So what was it like coming back to characters who have been outside of the you know center of the Marvel universe for so long and bring him back in what appears to be a pretty big way. Cause I see Megan holding what looks to be a cute little baby. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure how much I'm, I'm supposed to give away, but yeah, there've been some really exciting developments in their lives and being able to bring people up to speed with what they've been up to um, is a staggering responsibility that I can't believe they let me do, but I'm still really thrilled that they did. Um, and it's it's not something that I take lightly either, just because I understand, you know, firsthand as a fan, just how uh, just how much love people have for these characters. And the moment it was announced that uh, I got to write this, um, I started hearing from people who they expressed nothing but like love and support and excitement that they were going to see their favorite team back together again. And I was like, yeah, dude, I know, I know. Right. <laughs> it's just, um, 
really amazing to be able to work with these characters who, you know, like have kept me alive at the worst points in my life. And now, like I used to write fan fiction about these guys and now I get to write with them in like a real and meaningful way for Marvel. It's, it's just not something that I, I ever want to, you know, understate how, how cool it is to be able to work on that. I think it's exciting that you get to uh, tackle Britain and Megan too, because as Zach mentioned, I think the last time we saw Captain Britain was leading up to Secret Wars. I don't even know yeah, if Megan was really part of that story. So yeah, and it's never enough. I feel like you know, especially the two of them together and the way that they sort of play off each other. And you know, Megan is so so bright and and playful, and Brian is bristly um and it just works really well i but it's always never enough for me like i always want more and and i still feel that way now even after writing the annual reunion with them like i just i want more i I want this yawning universe where they get to keep having adventures that's again that's the good part of the marvel universe is that people can be doing stuff off panel (laughs) and especially especially these you know peripheral Mm -hmm. characters now, a, a character. Who, oh yeah, and mm-hmm. oh, I, I was going to say a character who hasn't always had that luxury is Rachel Summers or Gray, depending on what she's going mm. on. I know the solicits have <laughs> hinted that that's changing back again. I don't Rachel with the spiky red hair. Uh, oh yeah. How do you yeah. how do you how do you approach a character like that that's had a lot of identity struggles in the you know even recently, but throughout her entire characterization? How do you, how do you approach writing someone like that? I think that's a good question. I think that for me, the best way to write someone like Rachel authentically is to first and foremost, like confront the identity issues head on. You, you can't really retcon that away. Um, because, you know, especially like with her hound persona and all of the different issues she's faced with who she is and, you know, being a daughter of, of who she is. Um, I, I, I think that just being honest about that and showing her kind of dealing with that in her own way and coming to terms with it is the best way to probably move forward with Rachel and to bring her into kind of her next evolution and her next stage of character development. Yeah. To build on that, um, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about as, you know, Excalibur reuniting is that Excalibur, you know, is a weird beast in the X line, right? Because it's not, it doesn't have in any way, shape or form the same tone yes. as the rest of the X books, um, which I think is why a lot of people latch onto it and like it so much. But I think it also presents an interesting challenge to writers. Um, and I was curious if this was a challenge for you, does it constrain what you can do with the characters knowing that what the book is, is really historically known for is this wacky, almost kind of Muppet-like approach, uh, you know, or Monty Python might be a better uh, equivalent, you know, to, to superhero comics. Um, does, do you find that limiting? Do you find that freeing? Oh, I found it absolutely freeing. I found it because that's really, you know, 
probably my favorite aspect of the original series is that like part of the magic of Alan Davis and Chris Claremont working together on, you know, Excalibur was the humor and the heart of it. And, mm-hmm. and that's what made it so, so bright and, and wonderful to consume and indulge in. And it's, it's something that I come back to over and over again as a reader, just, uh, because of the like transcendental joy it brings me. So being able to try and, you know, emulate that to articulate those same values in my own voice um, was something that I found really exhilarating. And if I can manage a fraction of, you know, that original humor and heart in the annual, then I'll consider it a successful love letter to the original series. <laughs> uh, I love that, that that you find it liberating as opposed to, you know, limiting. Oh, I think that's fantastic. I, I think being a love letter to the series, that's all anyone wants out of, you know, the 30th anniversary of Excalibur. Like I know there's been, there's been a lot of chatter on the internets about how there is, Oh, comics are trying to balance nostalgia with moving forward. And even, uh, you know, yeah. the first the first arc of gold was all about looking back to move forward and how you can balance that stuff. But really, all I want for Excalibur is just everyone to agree for, you know, 32 pages or however long it's going to be that, hey, Excalibur was really neat, guys. This, yes. this was good times. Remember that? I'm, I'm OK with that for an annual. That's perfect for an annual. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, this is a really kind of the perfect a uh, way to have an Excalibur reunion because, you know, it's an annual. So it's a standalone story that new readers can come to and everything will make sense. But at the same time, like it is just springboarding off of, you know, what I love most and what Mark loved most about the original series too, which is the humor and the heart, the silliness of it, but also you know, the gravity of what they're dealing with at the same time. Like the the bad guys are really bad and they do some sick crap. So, but they, they deal with it in a really heartwarming, authentic, funny, and at times ridiculous way, uh, which is, that was always my favorite part. If I could build on that a, a little bit, um, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about knowing this is coming off and uh, coming out. And then you were speaking earlier about the fact that Mark was kind of reacting to, to fan, um, uh, requests to put this reunion back together. Um, we've over the course of just our limited time doing our show, we've, we've had an opportunity to talk about a couple of different, um, series that have benefited from being humorous. For instance, um, even though we're an X-Men podcast, we covered a Howard the Duck, um, storyline, um, you know, I, I think we're both fans of, of Squirrel Girl. Um, I know my daughter and I are big fans of Moon Girl. Um, there seems to be at least, uh, I, and I, don't, I can't speak to sales because I, I don't really follow that, but there does seem to be an audience for Marvel Comics um, to have a humorous sensibility um, and to have a lighter tone, oh, a lighter touch, maybe even an all ages touch. I don't know that Excalibur really fits it, it, you know, it's hard to talk about Excalibur as an all ages book when there's like, you know, Nazi, uh, alternate yeah. timeline and things like that. But, <laughs> but at the same time, um, my, my question is without getting spoilery, 
Um, do you think that there's a place for, if not a true Excalibur book, a book like Excalibur in the X line in 2018? Oh, absolutely. And for me, that's my favorite thing to write. I love being able to, um, uh, write in a way where the situation is dire, but you still leave a little room to lighten it a little for the audience. And because I get really addicted to that in things that I'm watching or reading, um, that sort of balance, you know, to kind of thread the needle between tragedy and comedy and do it with spectacular comic book action and violence. Um, but I absolutely think that there's room for that in 2018. I think there's room for that forever. And I mean, it all depends on what kind of comic fan you are, if you're into that. I am super into that. But I also understand the fans who are more into like the grim, dark kind of internal monologuing, dark... You, you know, Batman. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, like, I get that too. I get it. Oh, no, that, that's good. Now, speaking of grim and dark and monologuing things, you are, uh, <laughs> this is not, oh, you know where I'm going with this. Oh, that's nice. But you're, you, this is not your first X-Men work. <laughs> uh, you did a, you did a uh, story for an anthology book, Secret Empire Brave New World number five about, Domino and Emma Frost name called a uh, super hot. Yes. <laughs> which was a very interesting story. <laughs> like that, that's a story that has a very clear and unique voice to it. It's, <laughs> I don't know, Adam, have you got, did you get a chance to uh, pick that up and read that or? No, I, I'm, I apologize, Leah. I have not read that one yet, but oh, uh, right. <laughs> I, I will catch up with it. Uh, I promise. Here's the thing about it. It's a story about, and I'm not going to spoil everything, but it's four pages, so explaining anything is explaining everything. But it's a story about Domino assassinating Emma Frost, who is the, you know, queen secret leader of New Tian, which is the mutants takeover of California during the Nazi takeover, the Hydra takeover of the world, excuse my French. Uh, but uh, what was, what did you know going into the pitch for that? Like, how does that come about? Because that's such a weird, specific not even normal Marvel, like you can't have that pitch prepared, right? <laughs> so this is where I get to talk about how fantastic Chris Robinson is um, because I can never say enough good things about him as an editor. He's one of the best editors I've ever worked with ever, ever, ever um, across any type of medium. And he, I had been begging him to write Emma Frost and or Domino. So he came to me and he was like, well, we have four pages here. And I was like, done, give it to me. Let me do this. And he, I don't know, it's super fun working with him because sometimes he'll come to me with his ideas and be like, do you think there's a way we could do this? Like, what are your thoughts? And we'll just kind of like spitball back and forth. And that's how this happened. So it was his idea. Originally, he was like, what about these two characters in 
this location. And I was like, oh my God, bucket list, give it to me. Like I have to write this. And sure enough, like once we had just kind of texted back and forth about it and and gotten our idea solid, um, the very next day I dropped everything that I was doing and just sat down and wrote the script. And it was just so much fun. So I, I got to ask, because the opening line of that is one of the <laughs> few comic lines that has just stuck with me for a while. How long did it take you to nail down that the opening line should be Domino saying, being a hot girl is weird? <laughs> that was the first thing I thought of. <laughs> it was literally the first thing I thought of because I... I mean, part of the reason why I am so desperate to write Domino and Emma Frost is, to me, they are just fascinating and complicated creatures who've never really been given the chance to show how, just how badass they can be and and the full range of their powers, probably especially Domino. And what they're really known for is being hot. So... Again, like I was talking about, Mm. you know, Rachel coming to terms with all of her different complicated threads of identity, like my tactic with writing two characters that are known for being hot and also writing them (laughs) into a beach location (laughs) was um, to to just address it head on, you know, like (laughs) just be honest about it and, and how kind of being that good looking as these characters are would would also make things kind of weird for them you know because they're they're known for being super attractive but uh that's not the full sum of their identity you know like they are they are they contain depths they contain multitudes both of these women and i super hope i get to write them again well me too because it was like those four pages were very very good (laughs) i'll tell you it speaks to something that i know gets a lot of lip service in comics and especially like comics criticism or you know talking about it but there's not always great examples of it and that is that different voices with different experiences can really tell stories that you know a Stan Lee or a Chris Clamor or Rob Liefeld in Domino's case couldn't tell. They just wouldn't be able to go through and say anything about, you know, what that kind of experience is like. So it's, to me, it's very interesting that we're getting a lot of voices and at least the X-Men books I'm enjoying the most are coming from those unique perspectives, those unique voices. Like uh, I know we have raved about it on some other stuff, but like Christina Strain's uh, Generation X I was right now. just going to bring that up. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up and ask if you were reading it just because uh, it's so, oh, it's good. so good. Christina Strain's, uh, she's, she hasn't been on this podcast. She was actually on our my other podcast, Legion Quest, which is about the TV show Legion. And in the off-season, we watched the uh, Generation X made-for-TV movie with her. And it was amazing to get that perspective (laughs) because it was so fun to talk about. (laughs) That sounds amazing, yeah. Like, have you seen that movie? Because it is buck wild. That movie is insane. I have not, yeah. It's bad. Yeah, I don't know if I'd recommend it. It's not good. (laughs) (laughs) It's bad. But... (laughs) Are you are you advocating I, that she watch look, that, Zach? Because <laughs> it's not good. Listen, I'll, I'll, I'm a garbage can. I will take 
all <laughs> all of the the mutant content that exists. Look, if you like X Men things and you're okay with garbage television, <laughs> yeah, this is this is it. This is it. It's absolutely it's, it's on YouTube. Uh, I don't know how legal the YouTube copy is, but it's definitely there, and it's it's. It's the crazy. It's crazy that this is the first X Men property to ever like be live action X Men anything. Like, yeah, yeah, that I, is really bizarre. I don't understand it. So you've brought up a couple characters. You know, you said that Domino and Emma were on your bucket list thing. Uh, but what characters haven't you gotten a chance to work on yet that you really, really want to like? Who's who's on your checklist of I've got to write these people now that I'm in the door with Marvel. Uh, well, Maggot, obviously. Um, like, that is not a joke. <laughs> I am... I know! That's what makes me happy! <laughs> I am 100% serious <laughs> about that. And, uh, let's see... Zach just passed I would out. also say... Oh, Namor. Ooh. I love my salty, sarcastic, bristly prince. Ah. Um, and I would love to write him. And I don't know if you've ever seen Chris Anka's designs for him, um, yeah. but they are stunning, absolutely stunning. And Kevin Wada, the way he draws Namor too, is just incredible. Um, so I mm-hmm. have a lot of, a lot, a lot of ideas for that. And what else? Oh, magic. I would love, love to see her get the same sort of attention that I desperately want to give to Domino or Emma, Emma Frost where we just really like, you know, give them their dues. Um, yeah. I would love to see your take on uh, a follow-up to the Lemire run because Zach and I are always joking about how there's this little kid trapped in the sword now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if secret warriors is going to tackle any of that when, when they she haven't comes yet. Mm-hmm. No, but mm-hmm. I, I, I just want to. Yeah, it would be great if like Ileana got to be more than just like uh, the Uber for the team, you know, um, and she did like, you know, the Sapna storyline did did uh, have something there, but, it, you know, it got rushed, I feel like, um, to, to move on to the next whatever X relaunch. So I don't know. I'd love to see that. That'd be great. Also, gold balls. Yes. Point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's the thing. I think you and me like all the same X-Men characters, which is pretty exciting. This is a great list. I'm enjoying this. That's yeah. a team right there. Oh my yep. God. It would be amazing. That was, that was the Bendis team. That's, that's a good, that's a good chunk of the Bendis. Um, right there. Yeah, it's good. But no, that's, that's awesome. And yeah, I, I think you touched on magic's a character that I'm very glad that since she was uh, resurrected, Back in, uh, when was that, 2008, 2009, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's very cool to see that she's been able to kind of graduate into a level of prominence. Like, she's gotten over that bump of, I'm a new mutant character. No, I'm a Mm X-Men, X-Men character. She's gotten that promotion, which has been pretty cool. Which, uh, yeah, that came out of, what was it, X-Infernus, I think it was, when she came back. Written by by C.B. Sabolsky, who's had... uh, had an, an interesting, interesting day. day. Let's interesting just day. <laughs> what so, an elegant transition. That was great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we are recording this on uh, Tuesday, the twenty eighth. When 
a lot of stuff has come out that's been interesting to say the least. Yeah. Uh, didn't know if you had any thoughts on that, Leah. Yeah, they're all <sighs> shrieking, <laughs> just like bewildered shrieking. I think it's it's. Um, I have heard nothing but good things about CB, and I've even met like a couple of his high school buddies that are um, living in Dallas right now and, and talked about how, how great he is and, and nice a person. But so, and I have no doubt about that or that he's going to be a mega competent editor in chief, but just the story that broke today about him sort of assuming, you know, this yellow face pseudonym <laughs> to write under for Marvel and cross streams that way. It's uh, not something I'm super comfortable with <laughs> and super cool with. And I know it happened like what, nine, 10 years ago, something like that. Um, but I, I, I want it to be addressed in, in like a, you know, honest and authentic way just for transparency like it's so strange i'm reeling yeah i think yeah. we would i think we'd like that too um zach and i were talking about that earlier this evening and um you know it's a complex issue you know not only for the actions that were taken to sort of subvert financially but then there's this added layer of taking on this pseudonym that, that comes along with a lot of, um, you know, racial insensitive yes. insensitivity, yes. um, that, uh, you know, complicates this situation dramatically. Yeah, absolutely. Well, especially, especially when, uh, the books that were, uh, written under, uh, Kira, uh, Yashada were very Asian influenced. Like mm -hmm. they were, it it felt like they they were supposed to be written by a Japanese guy telling stories from a Japanese perspective. And I know we when we talked about uh what was it, the manga verse X-Men stuff, how we straight up said this feels like a you know, a Japanese inspired story filtered through superhero comics, filtered through what someone from America thinks yeah. Japanese culture is. Yeah. And that, that was the inauthentic part that, you know, was kind of bothersome. It kind of shows the issues here because, to me, you had a whole group of people, and this was before I was buying comics, but having gone back and read that stuff, it's under the impression that, oh, this is supposed to come from some place of authenticity that wasn't necessarily true. Oh, absolutely. Hmm. And that's what – I mean, that's what I find so crushing, the fact that, like, I – was so excited and so many of us were so excited about the future for Marvel and, you know, what CD was going to bring to the table. And then to find out that like he has this really big transgression where he trespassed <laughs> on Japanese identity in order to write these comics. Like that's, it just breaks my heart. <laughs> and um, yeah. I mean, obviously like, creatives at Marvel are sort of down in the trenches. So we never know about these things. Um, we are mm -hmm. never complicit in, in the way that people on Twitter <laughs> assume that we are, that we're all in, in on this together. It's always like, 
you know, when everyone else gets blindsided by these things, we are too. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm so loyal and I love Marvel. I love the characters. I love the history. I love working there and would never change that. But I, I definitely deal with these things in the same way that everybody else does where I'm just like, what, what? Yeah. I, I, I think one of the fascinating things that's, that's come out of this today has been individual reactions, um, you know, and, and people who probably don't know what to say yet. And uh, I think it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks as, as we go forward. Oh, absolutely. And I just feel like, yeah. wasn't there an, uh, an Avengers trailer that was supposed to come out today or something like that? Um, but this story ended up completely overtaking everything else Marvel related in the news. And there's definitely going to be some sort of uh, public, I guess, reckoning that I, I think will happen um, because of the pressure now. Uh, you know, the same thing that happened with uh, DC recently and, and their editor, like, continued the applying continuous pressure <laughs> from the public will, will always get some action because, you know, it's an industry and, and audiences are the most critical aspect of what we're trying to do at Marvel. Um, there's, there's nothing more important than addressing the concerns of audience members. No, that's, that's good. That's a, that's a unique perspective that, I don't think when when any of this stuff happens, and unfortunately for Marvel, there's been a a handful of these bad PR moments yeah. in the last uh, six months. <laughs> uh, but it's been real weird. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been. What, what's been interesting for me is like I I come from a like a corporate background. I've got my master's of business. Like I I I can it's very easy for me to immediately jump into, you know, my company man perspective and say, okay, well, if I was running a business, how would I actually handle this? What's the right way to handle this? What would a business do in this situation? And trying to balance that out with uh, some of the you know, comics culture where a lot of people are very, you know, we, people are very considerate and care a lot about, you know, representation and how things are, you know, handled from, you know, social issues within comic books, which, you know, I, I'm an X-Men fan. I care about that stuff too. I, I definitely get where they're coming from. It's a generation that was raised up on, Hey, maybe you shouldn't treat people different. Uh, like I get it's, it's so, it's so interesting to me to get all of those different unique perspectives coming in and, you know, trying to, you know, see what really lies at the center of what, you know, really happens. And a lot of these things, you're never going to get the actual truth of what was going down, but it's very interesting to see that perspective from a lot of different places. So definitely thank you for sharing that. Oh yeah, of course. Um, I, the, the, the social justice aspect of comics has always been part of what drew me to them in the first place. And it was like oxygen, you know, and yeah, it's something that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, they just sort of, embedded it in in the very foundation of these comics and these characters and we're always very public and honest about that and to me anything that sort of dishonors the work that they have done and 
narrows the gaze, turns it into something um, less than what it could be, is not the best work that we could be doing. And I especially feel this way about the work that I do at Marvel, um, that I have an incredible responsibility to the people who are reading comics to construct a series of mirrors about um, identity and politics while telling the best story that I can possibly tell and being honest about it. Um, Anything that kind of mars what Stan Lee has been very open about prioritizing in, you know, fighting for what's good and protecting the weak and good prevailing over evil. Anything that tarnishes that is, is a slight in my opinion. That was extremely well said, Leah. <laughs> thank you for, <laughs> thank you for uh, no, pontificating I mean, there. Cause I, I, yeah. that, that is what we, um, yeah. I think expect out of the books. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that we can expect a, a lot more, uh, from you with Marvel. Um, right now we're looking forward to the oh, annual. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate being given the opportunity to talk about it. It's something that I, I think about a lot. <laughs> we do too. That That's awesome. So as we, uh, wrap up here, uh, Leah, where can, uh, where can people find you online if they want to, you know, check out your stuff and see what you got going on? Um, I am most active on Twitter and I have, a stupid username because I've had it since I was like 13 or 14. But if you just search Leah Williams, I think I come up. The username is like at my monster is chic, C H I C. I like it. And it's <laughs> dumb, but I, I've had it since I was a literal teen girl. So please forgive me. Um, but yeah. And that's where I mostly post about, uh, what I'm up to and what comics I have coming out. I'm on Facebook and Tumblr and Snapchat and Instagram and all the other ones too. But Twitter is where I hang out because it's like ground zero for news nice. these days. <laughs> and uh, you've got right now, it's just the X-Men gold annual that you can uh, talk about. Coming yes, out? just that's the only thing that's been announced, but 2018 is going to be a big year for me. Knock on wood. Um, no, it is. It is. There's, there's really cool stuff happening that I, can't talk about yet <laughs> which is killing me <laughs> that's okay we look forward to that too well thank you thank you and, and thanks again for having me no problem now for all the listeners the x-men gold num- annual number one written by mark guggenheim and leah williams with art by aletha e martinez is coming out uh january that's... 3rd i early january it's i know i keep reading day. different dates for it too i the final order cutoff is December 10th. So make sure to tell your comic shops that you want to order it. Um, I know the diamond code too. It's NOV01995. <laughs> well done. If you want to order it, just in case. <laughs> I'm so excited. I had postcards printed for this that I designed myself. <laughs> I've just been handing them out to people. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, make make sure to pick this up, guys, because it's going to be cool. Also, Megan's holding a baby, and I am very interested in how all that's going, because this is exactly my brand. Oh, my God. I can't wait. (laughs) I cannot wait for you guys to read it. We're we're so excited. 
So again, Leah, thank you for coming on the show. And listeners, thank you for supporting this show. Everything that we do here on Battle of the Atom is supported by our lovely people over at Patreon. If you go over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files, you can chip in any amount of money you want. You can chip in a dollar. You can chip in a thousand dollars. Please spend your money better than chipping in a thousand dollars to this podcast. But you know, <laughs> there are different rewards for different levels of different things. Uh, if you pledge at the $2 a month level, we will actually create an episode of Battle of the Atom all for you. Based on a suggestion that you make, we will spin that into something amazing, something beautiful, something that's truly a bespoke X-Men experience. Uh, next week, we are actually covering a Patreon request based around Life Death, the classic Chris Claremont, Barry Windsor Smith issue and it's going to be very very good uh if you can't support monetarily i know that i can't support everything i listen to on the internet and in you know all the media i consume through my ears and my eyes but you know go on itunes go on google play wherever you get your podcasts leave a rating review it really helps us out uh beyond that everything 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 associated with Battle of the Atom and Xavier Files and my weird media X-Men empire that I've somehow created uh, can be found at XavierFiles.com. That's where we have weekly updates about different X-Men characters. This week, we will have... Co oh, wait. No, I don't know what we're covering <laughs> this week because this episode comes out after the thing I've already written. I don't know. Last week, as you've written this, I will have written about Archangel, and it's pretty good. Like, I'm excited about this one coming out. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Xavier files, where I talk about a lot of X-Men stuff and try and get hashtag bring back maggot trending. Uh, Adam, where can people find you online? <laughs> you guys can follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Um, you can look at art at Adam uh, .com. And hopefully earlier, early December, we should have, uh, the big cartel store open up so that if folks want to order print copies, of the uh, Bish and Jubes fan comic, Age of Strife. Um, you guys can order a copy and give it to your friend for Christmas or whatever you celebrate. Um, so hopefully that'll be up by the time this episode comes out. Fingers crossed. We'll see. Yeah, that is awesome. Now, the last thing we want to pitch right now, and this has actually come across, you know, hot off the presses this week and this day as we were recording this our good friend of the show charlie davis has actually just kicked off a brand new podcast called the young ones which you can find you know in your podcasters as of today it's all about teen superheroes talking about them figuring out how those different you know young ones kind of came together how they worked out. I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it yet because, again, I've been recording podcasts in the entirety of its existence, but I'm very much looking forward to it. <laughs> Go check that out. Uh, beyond all of that stuff, one last time, Leah Williams, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Oh, thank you. It was a joy. Yeah, it was real fun time. Everyone, go buy the Excalibur 30th anniversary edition in X-Men Gold Annual Number 1. Go tell your comic shops right now. Give them an email. Give them a call today because this is going to be really fun. But after all that, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!